You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Just Riding Along, brought to you by Pro Gold, 500mm flat bars and quill stems, and Pro Gold again. Um, as you can hear, we're already having a good time <laughs> sitting here around the table at Just Riding Along. Um, we are going, we have a bunch of really good topics to cover tonight, so we're just going to dive right in. Uh, other, actually, back to the 500mm flat bars and quill stems, Kenny just said that back when he was riding that stuff on a mountain bike, uh, that he invented 29ers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not really, I just thought I'd make that up. Uh, but I really, really did hate I liked the idea of mountain biking then. This was in like 95-ish. I liked the idea of mountain biking, but I just, I even knew in my gut then like that, that was, it was wrong, like that there was something wrong with it, but there wasn't anything on the market to fix it. And that being said, it was like you, your bars were in like, you were running six or eight inches of drop to your bars from your Ooh. saddle. And, uh, and the bars were completely flat, like no bends at all. And they were like five hundred. and straight. Yeah, they were five hundred mil wide, and like the shortest stem you could buy was one hundred and thirty millimeters. <laughs> shortest quill stem. Yeah, it was horrible. It was awful. It's like, how are you supposed to like? Oh my God, there's a root. Oh, I just crashed because I can't lift my bars up because my nose is on my front tire. <laughs> anyway, I hated that crap. I'm so glad it's over. Yeah, we're pretty lucky the, now. The other end of the spectrum is uh, in today's world, you see people. Going to the other extreme, 810 millimeter wide bars. Not even that. Um, you see people constantly breaking the manufacturer's recommended. Let me just start over. I, my words were not working very well. What what I've seen lately, and this is kind of uh, unnerving to me because I've seen it a lot in some uh, national publications, is when you're seeing a bike being showcased. <coughs> And it's running way too many spacers under the stem. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, people taking these bikes and jacking them up to the very far extremes where they should never go. And, uh, you know, the manufacturer of the frame and the fork do not intend for there to be that much steer tube exposed under the stem. So, uh, yeah. Um, Some guy posted an online swap meet. A picture of his wife passed out next to the toilet and said, who wants to swap wives? You see what that guy's name is? Tom, Tom Bullery. Oh, okay. All right, whatever. Thanks anyway. for the dead air. So yeah, we're, we're back to way too many uh, spacers. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Most of the time it's four centimeters. <coughs> it's that, always four centimeters. And that doesn't, sometimes it's three centimeters. Oh, it's never more than four centimeters. Yeah, yeah it's never probably, more than four, and that means four from the top of the head tube, not from the top of your headset cover. Correct. So it probably, uh, it's. I think it's usually a little bit shorter on most full carbon steer tubes, from what I've seen. Not always, but from what I've seen. Yeah, it's, it's going to be either it's three or course. four, and you need to find out. Like, if you have a, a big old stack of spacers under there, and you don't have a steel steer tube, you know, like a steel steer tube, whatever. Put put whatever you want. Nope. Really? <laughs> I've still... seen problems with that. So yeah. the first shop I worked at, we had a guy that wanted us to fix his headset. And the problem was he was running so many spacers under his stem on a one-inch steel steer tube that it flexed enough over time the upper headset, like traditional press-in headset, 
had broken off of the part that inserts into the frame. Oh, no. So... It had become another spacer. It was wobbling. Oh, man. So... You know what's really scary is that they make aftermarket, and I've seen them on people's bikes. Stem extenders. A stem extender. And I'm not talking... YouTube extenders? Yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah, yeah. Because that sucker puts it up like six or eight inches above yeah, your yeah. head tube. I actually used one of those once. Yeah? It was on my... My very first mountain bike was a Univega uh, Alpina something or other it was pretty much my dad walked into a bike shop and was like what is the cheapest bike i can get my daughter that she won't break um and that was it and so i i found it in their garage and i made it into a commuter but like kenny said it was going to be like eight inches of drop and it had like a flat bar on it so i got like a big ass like touring bar and it was still like six inches of drop and it was on my commuter and so I, I got the the steer tube extender. Nice. And it was uh I mean it worked and I, I didn't I, I rode it like six miles to work and back. Yeah. It was just far enough that I needed it to be comfortable, but it wasn't so far that I was like really working the bike. So it worked in that situation. Um it was pretty ugly, but yeah. It was awesome. So if you guys are curious and you really want to get nerdy, you can. it's best to look up the fork manufacturer's recommendation and then look up the frame manufacturer's recommendation and you choose the minimum of those two. Yeah. And that's what you get. So just keep it in mind. And especially on road and cyclocross bikes, that's often yeah. really easy because the fork is made by, the frame and fork are a combo. Yeah, you. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like on my, you know, I'm not... I'm not, like, shy to admit that on my CAD-10 aluminum, I'm running it factory uncut. Uh, well, I mean, it's cut from the factory. But I'm running it all spacers under my stem with the stem risen. And it's still running five centimeters of drop to the bars. I just have to do that because... You're a T-Rex. I have to do it. I have t- I'm T-Rex. I've got... Like you said, you should have gotten the women's frame. So I really should. I mean, the women's frame would have helped a little bit. I'd probably be at, like, four centimeters of drop. Yeah, but a little more stacked. Either way, I mean, it's just... But regardless, if you look at that and measure it, it's still under 40 to the headset. Yeah. The cap's, like, 10, and then I'm running 20 or 30 spacers underneath it, so... 20 or 30 one-millimeter spacers. <laughs> yes. I run one-millimeter spacers. Um, because they're lighter. Let's get to Molly Jean Thompson. Since we're talking about bikes and, you know, like choosing a bike for a job, um, Molly Jean, who actually, Molly Jean, the, the dog and the real name is... I was going to say, we've gotten Justin, a question from this person before, yeah, right? Yeah, Hold on. Let me, let me double check. Why is the dog asking questions? Because dogs are awesome. It's cool. I like dogs. I thought it was against the Facebook rules to have, like, dog Facebooks and stuff. Oh, no, no. Um, this when, is from Justin, a.k.a. Molly Jean. Um, I don't think we should reveal his true identity. He's probably hiding from some really crazy ex-girlfriend. He but, posted it on my Facebook, but my Brickhouse Re- Racing Facebook. As page. Molly Jean. But then he said Justin, a.k.a. Molly Jean. Okay, well, let's so roll. He threw it out there. Um, he says, thoughts on a 130 to 140 millimeter 29er hardtail to complement a 100 millimeter 29er hardtail. He's looking at the Yelly Screamy to go with his highball. Looking for a fun, fast bike for Pisca stuck between a Yelly and a 4 inch 29er full suspension. 
Um, also, what would it take to get the JRA crew out to Pisgah for the Pisgah Mountain Bike Stage Race next fall? Um, first, I want to address that last part, then we can get into the important part. Um, to get, if you want the entire crew, like one or more of us, I won't say the entire crew, if you want one or more of us to come to any race, including Pisgah, anything at Pisgah, um, or any other race, um, first off, like... From but here, I want to say, you can't just... You can't just snag Andrea, because I know that's what you're going to want to do. You're stuck with all of us. <laughs> you know, the offer stands for all of us. Like, you can't just say, no, it's just for one person. It's got to be, like, open so if you, to you're stuck, one or more of us. You're stuck with us. some mid-pack dudes. <laughs> mid-pack? I did really well at one race last year. I might have another really good race next year. <laughs> so if you want someone race. who's a little faster than mid-pack or might DNF, um, yeah. that was only that was once. Oh, that was once. Apply aloe to the burn. <laughs> God. <laughs> you should have just stuck with mid-pack. Anyway. She couldn't, so, she couldn't stick so yeah, with first nope, off, I couldn't. it's one or more of us. So, like, it, you know, we all have different schedules, whatever, different. We all have to be invited. Yeah, we're all invited is rule number one. Um, it would take entry fees, so waive the entry fee, and lodging. Um, so pretty much like the, the big cost for any race, like, you know, it's kind of, especially for like Pisgah, entry fee and lodging is, it's huge. It's really, really big. Along with like, <laughs> our microwave's real noisy and Kenny's microwaving pizza. So yeah, pretty much entry fee. Like I know Micah Gordon offered us kind of the same deal for, um, Berryman, but it, it just turned out like for Berryman, I mean, that's a great race. Um, I, from what I've heard, the Berryman Trail Epic that was over the weekend. Um, oh, that just happened? Yeah, that just happened. I mean, it's it's from what I've heard, it's it's a great course and a really fun race. It was a great atmosphere, but it's just it's too late in the year for me as far as like doing a mountain bike race. You know, I'm already kind of in my off season, just kind of messing around, and it's it's a serious race. You know, like it's got a great payout. It attracts a, a big. You know, a lot of really talented um, riders. I know Matt's tapping his watch. We have like 40,000 questions, and you're talking about races that aren't the ones we're being swayed over. I know, over but I, I was just giving that as an example because Micah wanted us to, to go to the race and, and made that offer. Like, pretty much, would we go for entry fee and lodging? And we didn't really bite on it because we were just, it, it's too late for me. You know, Kenny was with his parents. Um, Matt was, you know, just Matt. I'm pretty much just imploding right now. That's happening. Yeah, so it didn't really work out for us, but that's the type of thing we'd be looking for. So if you want us to do, you know, a little bit of race promotion, be like, hey, the JRA crew or one of us or two of us or all three of us are going to this race, um, before the race, talk about it, um, you know, on the air and after the race, do like a, a pretty good recap about everything. Um, we'd love to do it. Um, you know, just, just contact us. You can contact Andrea at Mountain Bike Radio. I think that's what it is. Is it mountain, at mountainbikeradio.com? Uh, Andrea at mountainbikeradio.com. <laughs> is that my email? Yep. Yeah, you can contact any of us. Um, Matt is Matt at Mountain Bike Radio, and Kenny is Full Face Kenny at Mountain Bike Radio. So, yeah, yeah I mean, we can always work something out, especially for a cool stage race. I'd love to do the Pisgah stage race. It's just, um, yeah, I got to get it in my schedule early. 
um, because it's a stage race, and stage races are real hard, so they take a lot of planning as far as training goes. Um, all right, so let's go to the important part of the question. So back to would you go with a longer travel hardtail, or would you go for that uh, more cross-country full suspension 20 Now, it doesn't sound like they're saying should I get one or the other? It's that should I get this bike in addition to the regular one? Is that not what they were That's asking? That's what he's no, saying. He but he's stop. saying should, should I get a one? Should I get a, a Niner ROS? Yeah. Or a Jet Nine? Yeah. To complement my existing highball. Oh, so it's asking should I yeah. get a long travel hardtail twenty nine or a short travel full suspension twenty nine to go with my hardtail twenty nine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, because he's just stuck between a Yelly and a 4-inch 29 or full suspension. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if it were me and you don't have a full suspension, you need a full suspension bike. So you have it in your quiver. Whether you're going to ride it all the time or not, or if you like it, whatever, that's up to you. But I think you should at least have one so you have the opportunity to, to I ride I think you one. should look at something like the RIP-9 RDO or other, like... I um, think that we're overlooking part of his dilemma. What's his dilemma? Or what's, what part are we overlooking? He's not asking for a downhill bike. Right. He's asking for, I can tell you why he's telling you he either wants a Yeti or... Yelly. It's a Yeti Yelly, right? I don't know if that's... I didn't think Yeti made the Yelly screamy. Oh, anyways. Why he wants either a long travel hardtail or an XC bike is because he has to pedal it up the hill at Pisco. Canfield. Okay, well still, he has to pedal either the Canfield... Or the exit, whatever it is, he's got to pedal it. Does it have any technical climbing, like loose stuff, rocks, roots, you know, that kind of thing? Yes. Hey, Pisca has everything technical. I'm sure people will argue with me, but I actually appreciate the full suspension bike for that kind of stuff. Because I'm telling you, you get better traction, you can get over that stuff. Um, yes, but if you're, like, gassed by the time you get to the hard part because the bike was super inefficient all the way up. And the way I say it, and that standpoint is you either bought the wrong bike or you got it set up wrong. But, I mean, I'm always going to argue the full suspension. I'm Not that that should be a surprise, but... Yeah, Kenny definitely, I think, swings more towards full suspension. I've, I've cleared climbs that I can't clear on the hardtail on the full suspension. And I'm talking about a lighter, nice, efficient hardtail. And I've cleared climbs on the single speed that I don't clear on the full suspension. Yeah. Um, that's just how I am, though. I think you need to ride both types. Um even if you can't get that particular hardtail, um, see if you can find someone who has one or a shop that has a demo. Like I know, like I don't know if Canfield has a, a demo program, but I know Niner does. So you might be able to find a Niner shop with a uh, with the ROS, which is going to be a similar purpose bike. I don't know how they compare as far as like weight and geometry and everything, but it's you know it's a long travel hardtail. Um, you know, so try both and see which one you like, because it's just like, you know, the three of us are sitting around here being like, well, you know, you kind of go either one. It depends on what you like. Well, it depends on what you like. Yeah. I don't think any one of them is dead wrong for the job. So, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't let I, would, I, mean, I wouldn't let anybody tell you what to do. Yes. Yeah, so we, like, we can all tell you the positives and negatives of each, but. I think you just need to ride them, and you'll know which one you like. And Yeah, like if you ask Dickie, you need the long travel hardtail. If you ask Kenny, you need the full suspension. If uh, you ask Matt. I would, I'm leaning more towards the 
long travel hardtail. I've been riding the full suspension bike some, and it, there are certain things it just doesn't do. And I'll be the first to admit that I have not put extended time on a long travel 29er. So I've never ridden a long travel 29er. I'd, I'd love to ride one and find out for myself. So I might really like it, but that's I hate my advice. I hate hardtails though, in general. So I like hardtails. I like the way the hardtail rear end feels when you're under power or when you're really in the there's two kinds of technical stuff that I've seen so far. There's technical stuff where you just don't brake and you don't hit something that stops your wheel. And then you have that more technical riding that's this what I would call true technical where you're like you have to juking and jiving you and you're like Yeah, like front and rear tires are going like up and over things and Yeah, you're and you're like putting your wheel here so you then you can like actually hop onto this or like you hop off of that or you might ride a little wheelie through these water bars. I think the hardtail long travel bike would be way more fun in that situation. I think the rear end is going to feel a lot more alive under you. You'll feel yeah. like you have a lot of control over it. Like I love the way it feels to pump a hardtail where you can like manual it through some like dips and stuff. It's just awesome. And it's not an, a problem that's isolated to my spearfish, so I'm not like putting it on eBay today. But that is what I hate about that bike. If there's one thing I don't like about it, it's the bottom bracket feels low and the rear end feels long. It just it feels dead when I'm out of the saddle trying to do stuff with it. So. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's why. Like I've I've ridden the the full suspension really just like a few times at Silmo, um, and I I don't really like it there. I don't like it for the rock gardens there. I don't like. I'd have to like just to clarify like for a rock garden like a something that looks like someone dumped a pile of rocks on the trail. Like I, I like a hardtail for that where you're maneuvering and like actively controlling the front and the rear of the bike. Like I, I really like a hardtail. If it's something like at Transylvania where it's like a lot of just softball sized rocks, just where you can't pick a line through there, you just pedal through them. Like a full suspension is amazing. In that kind Like of for stuff. me, uh, for people familiar with Silomo, the downhill on orange. Yeah. That very long one where you're just hauling ass and you can't, it's just, you're going to be hitting rocks whether you like it or not. But there's, that one's not that bad though. When you first cross the road and make a right hand turn? Yeah, I think that's what he's talking about. Yeah, I love that descent. Yeah, like I. But I love that descent on the full suspension because I can just like point and just go. And if you ride the hard like, right, you can go and like get, just as get, fast. get scary speed. You can go just as fast on the hardtail. Yeah, I mean, because that is a perfect example of like those, those all those water bars on the hardtail. I just don't touch the front tire to them, and it yeah. feels it, to me. It's Another hard. example, and no one's gonna know what we're talking about except Memphis people. But Lakeland, when you do Lakeland backwards and you go down Amen Hill backwards, there you can downhill that section. You point. Yeah, I don't. I you don't point know straight, about. and you get scary fast. Like you make bad decisions and just go straight. No and idea. I could not imagine doing that on the hard side. It's just you're not going to do it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've, I've ridden Lakeland like three times. So, anyway, just putting that out there. Obviously, everyone's going to have different opinions, as you can tell. Yeah. Um, Go, you, you should definitely try to ride a long travel hardtail and then try and ride, you know, your four-inch whatever. Um, but, yeah, you should, you should definitely give them both a shot and see which one you like better because we can't agree on it. Um, Matt, do you want to talk about that tubeless 
the floor pump thing, or do you want to go with the Dan, fork thing? Dan Ackerman. Dan Ackerman was asking about swapping between uh, straight and tapered forks. Oh. Um, let's, let's talk about that. I just yeah, while we're still on hardtails. Well, hold on. I actually told this dude from um, Twitter that I would address those first. So since this is my first time to pick, we're going to go to Frankie Stanton from the Twitterverse. Um, Frank Q81. And that that's that's really uh yeah. Is that a Twitter name? <laughs> that is. Um I think that somewhere out there, uh what's his name is listening. Ben is listening and he's retweeting some of this stuff right now so people can find Frank Q because that's a, a pretty hard one to spell. Um a couple of questions he had is uh first one was, What kind of races do you enjoy more? Uh because I put it out there today, if you ask any question I will answer it. Um as long as it's PG thirteen. So um what kind of races do you enjoy more? Lap races or point to point? Definitely point to point. I hate lap races. Yeah, I think yeah, they're definitely. Let me rephrase that. I hate six hour race format and twelve hour format. I, I don't see any real fun in it unless the course is just amazing. And unfortunately, there's only really one race around here that I, I think really fits that bill. So Well like Spa City? Yeah, I really like Spa City for some reason. Yeah, it has like a, a good mix. And I'm pretty happy doing two laps of a course, sometimes three. I'm not really too pumped on doing more than that. Sometimes I have to just to do the six-hour format, but I'm going to agree with you. I don't. I would much rather do a trail a like, for a like, like two laps. Like, for, like Hard Knocks is not super enjoyable as far as the actual trail goes, but yeah. at least you do two laps of it, so it's not... Completely, and they're a little bit different. Yeah, so it does. It doesn't completely destroy you there because it almost feels like, except the sections that are very familiar looking, like the last part of the trail, for example, seems very. I'm very familiar with it, but the first part, like it almost seems like I'm riding a new trail for the entire ride, which I like. Yeah, because you don't really know it that well. Yeah, that's that's definitely like the the less you can repeat trails, unless they're just a lot of fun. Like I know there's, I think is it Warrior Creek out out east, like somewhere that is the one that has a bunch of berms and I'm not sure like fun stuff like like I know there's there's a six hour race east like in the North Carolina like the Asheville area oh um, uh, Dickie does it every year yeah. six hours of Warrior Creek that race sells out in like 20 minutes but yeah like that's what I've heard is that trail is so much fun to ride that it's fun to do as a six hour lap race like that's that's cool like yeah. I, I because especially on something like that when you have a bunch of man-made features you get comfortable with them, and you get a little bit faster each time. Like I, I think that's that's uh, interesting. But for if, the if you're gonna part, do if you're gonna do a lap race, you probably want to pick a course that doesn't physically beat you up, like kind of needlessly beat you up, like one that's really, really <laughs> one that's really, really rooty or really, you know, that just beats you up physically. Like if your hands are raw at the end, that kind of thing. Like that's to me. If that's fine, if, I like yeah, that's fine if, to me if you're doing like a point-to-point race and you feel crappy at the end. But if you're doing a lap race and then you start deteriorating and you've got like you know that you've got to do three more of these laps. <laughs> I love feeding off the misery of other people. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> I, I hate that part of it. I mean, I like feeling miserable at the end of a race, but I want it to be at the end of a. Uh, you know, oh my gosh, where is the you end? Passed, where is the end of this? You pass someone on mile five, and you're like, or no, on lap five of the lap race, and you're just like, this is awesome because they're like, oh my hands hurt. And you're like, I'm having a great time. Yeah. And you yeah. watch them cry a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
I don't think there's any normal people out there that would prefer lap racing over. Well, yeah, I think a lot of people do. Like, I think less uh, skilled riders really enjoy lap races. Yeah, yeah, because they can like take a break between laps. No, I guess so. No, I wasn't even going for that. I'm saying someone that's not a very technical rider, if they're not, if they're not good at thinking on the fly, and they're one of those people that just pedals. Okay. Then they know those places that you don't. They're like. Oh yay! When I get to this part, I can put it in the big ring and pedal really hard. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this part's hard. I'm gonna have to walk down this like embankment here, where like. Yeah, they get kind of. In those situations where we would be like, oh man, this open field again, and then later we'd be like, whoa, the drop. They're like, oh my god, hammer time! Oh my god, the drop! Ah! You know. I love. I love nothing more than going to a race and never having ridden the course in my entire life and just going on the start line and be like, what's up, guys? This is going to be cool. I hope I don't jump off a bridge I'm not supposed to jump off of or something like that. Like that first year at Spa City, I did that tree ramp. And I didn't realize that you're not really supposed to do that in the race. Because, like, I saw some people there going kind of slow. I looked at it. I'm like, oh, it's probably got, like, a nice little – it was a nice little up to it. It wasn't that bad. And riding it in the middle was not bad. I figured there'd be like a nice little ramp on the downside, but for some reason, I don't know if there was like a tree down or if it was slick or something, but I had to jump off the side of it, like where it was really, really high. It like head high, too. I know. <laughs> I mean, I did it in the first lap of that's like that. Uh, that's like that video that circulated Facebook and the internet like just a minute ago about uh, those guys on the downhill course that all, like three of them went off of a, yeah. an embankment. But I love, I love showing up to a race and not knowing. Because I don't want to know. I want to be like, I want to encounter the obstacle and see if I can figure it out first shot. Like, that's really, I don't know, that's really fun. Yeah, I me. think that's, I love that. That's, that's pretty fun. But as long as it's a trail where it doesn't have something overtly dangerous that you should see ahead of time. Yeah, you know, that's, that's understandable. Most places have some kind of, like, signage up, generally, yeah, yeah. In, in that kind of situation. Maybe. But. You know, other than that little tree incident, and, and, and in retrospect, I knew when I went up it, it was like, I was kind of like, well, why did I just go up this? You know, I, I didn't, I did it because people were going slow and I thought I could pass people. Um, but it was, it was a poor decision. <laughs> but I still like that kind of stuff because the thing is, I still made it work and I was fine. I didn't crash. I just, I just made it work. I'm like, well, I'm I like, hey, I'm going to be falling down in front of you guys right now. Yeah. So I was like, oh, you better wheelie drop off the side of this thing and, you know. And you just do it, and it was it's kind of fun. So, next question. Uh, so, do you want me to go to Dan's question? No, he had know? three like quick oh. ones, and oh, we, okay, they turned out to be not so quick. Um, so, yeah, answer your question point to point, or like clover leaf races, or one loop races are, are more of a uh, fun time for us. Uh, I oh, real quick, I'm gonna extend that, and you're gonna be really pissed off. Um, I like training on lap stuff because it gives me a goal. Like, I, if I know what my lap time is at a certain place, it gives me something to really strive for. And it's, and it's an easy, it's kind of a quick, uh, a quick affirmation that you're, that you're making progress. You know what I mean? Like me going to Silamo and doing a really, really long ride there and comparing that to another really, really long ride, you know, conditions can change so drastically and, you know, with weather and this and that. It's hard to directly compare those things when you're going over a really long distance. That's what I like about lap stuff is I can say, okay, I go here. I know I run 45, so let's, boom, let's go run some 45s. So, anyway, that's it. Yeah. 
How do you feel about night riding and what lights do you use? I hate night riding. <laughs> I think it's awful. Matt's not allowed to answer that question. No, really. Uh, I think night riding's awful. It's not fun. You can't see anything. I've never had enough light on the trail to feel like I can go fast. The it, it's just not that fun, and it's just it's just not. I mean, I don't have a positive thing to say about it. I've done some night riding when I have to, and night riding is more fun than not riding, but just barely. Honestly, just barely. Like, I do not like night riding. I can't go fast, and I can't... I, night riding doesn't ride anything like daytime riding, and that makes me sad. So, that's my answer. Well, if someone out there wants to send me, like, 5,000 lumens of light to try, I will try them, and if they're great, I'll buy them from you. And if they're not great, I will put them in a box and mail them back to you. <laughs> I am dead serious. So I love night riding, like love it, love it. Probably half of my mileage every year, road and mountain, is at night. So I love it. I've been through like 10 different light setups and kind of figured out what I like as far as color and beam pattern and all that stuff. And you got to have a ton of lumens. If you're going to do it right, don't, chimp, don't skimp out on the lights. Don't buy the cheapest Chinese crap you can find. Like go buy nice lights that have good batteries with 2,000 plus lumens combined, barn helmet, make sure you have two lights and do your homework. Yeah, I think two lights is important. Super important. Uh, anyway, if you have the right gear on that part of it, having good lights, I think that helps a ton. And it obviously is not for everybody, but I love it because there's less people on the trail. It's usually uh, cooler outside, especially in Memphis because it's so damn hot here most of the time. So I really like that aspect of it. And it's just a convenience thing for me because very rarely do I have the opportunity to ride in the daytime unless it's the weekend. So I have to do it kind of out of necessity. And I like how that opens up the opens up my schedule for me. I can get home at seven or eight o'clock and even do a couple things and just not worry about it and hop on the bike and just ride. Um, I love it. And I've set some of the fastest times I've ever done at night. So and and that's very much the flip side and I'm not afraid to say that. I'm not gonna spend a grand on lights because I'm gonna night ride. That's I mean, this is very catch-22. Maybe if I had more lights, I would ride at night more. But then it gets cold at night, and that's really your, like, that would be when you'd night ride the most. It would be in the wintertime when it gets dark early. But then it also gets really cold early, and you don't really do that well with cold. Well, not only that, but what I was going to say is, let's say I went night riding a bunch. Like, daylight savings time is for six months of the year, right? And if I went on a night ride a week, which would be a lot for me, that'd be 24 night rides. That would be $50 a pop if I spent a grand on lights. Now you, where you're maybe doing five night rides a week, it 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 doesn't add up as fast. You're, yeah. I mean, to give you guys an idea, my setup, I spent $500 on my setup on head and bar. And... You know, you can definitely spend, you can spend a thousand. Easy. Super easy you can spend a thousand. Um, but with that said, I just going to let people know. And that's still, with Matt's calculation, that's still $25 a ride. And that's... At my riding schedule. Yeah, but and that's, riding that's, schedule. Pretty, that's pretty pricey. To right. give you guys an idea, I probably do, I don't know, but I probably do 52 night rides a year. I mean, I do, the, on average, one a week. Sometimes in some seasons I do, I'll do three in a week. And then sometimes I won't do any night riding for two weeks. So... In mine, it averages out to about half my riding because I do I do a little over a hundred rides a year, um, probably closer to two hundred really. So 
I do 50 to 75 night rides easy every year. So that's just me, though. Yep. Yeah, and I'm in the middle um, on that. I don't mind r- night riding, and I have decent lights. I guess I have a 1200 lumen and a 500 lumen that I use if I go night ride. Um, yeah, those in combination, I can... I mean, like, Kenny, I rode the Epic with you and John here in that time with the same setup. Yeah. And it was fine. Um, you know, I don't really... I don't necessarily, like... I, I don't seek out night, night rides, um, in part because, uh, you know, I'm female, and I don't like to go out by myself at night. And, unfortunately, that's kind of the way the world is, you know, as women, we're taught to not go by, go out by ourselves at night. You know, especially in just some of the places. Like, our trails here in Memphis are generally, they're nice, but you well, but never, it's true. I mean, on, you never know what's out there. On our most used trail, Wolf River Trail in Memphis, everybody's running it and riding it and all this kind of stuff. And you'll see people night running and night riding. However, I have seen some sketchy shit at 1 o'clock in the morning when I'm out there by myself. Yeah. And, and usually I just, like, blow, I, by, blow by the situation and don't. And that sketchy situation is different if you're female. Yeah, and I agree. So I totally agree that that is a legitimate concern because I've seen just weird crap that shouldn't be going on at 1 a.m. on the trails. So. Well, I think that's something that's probably highly unique to our area because a lot of our trails are in such a, like, what would you call it, like, urban environment. You know, our trails aren't, like, off in the state park over on the mountain. They're yeah. like, they're, they're walking, like a lot of people, like I, I, there's one trail in town, I was riding down the trail and someone's backyard fence backed up to the trail, so they had a little gate so they could walk out onto the trail from their backyard, and as I'm coming down the trail, I'm talking with a friend, and I hear this gate slam, and I'm like, man, somebody wanted to get out of here, and like as I ride by there, it like smells like pot. Right, you know, so like in Pisgah, there's not a house that backs up to the trail, you know, so I'm not saying the dude smoking pot was a big deal, but what I'm saying, I was trying to make the point that there's people's houses back up to the trail here, so people back up to the trail here, not just trail users find the trail here. Yeah, like our, our trails generally, like the big trail system in the middle of the city, it's in the middle like it, split, it is dead in the middle of the city. It, it goes the suburb yeah. from the city. Yeah. And so you have people from all over. You could have someone so easily from the hood just wander onto the trail and start walking. And it yeah. happens. And I've seen it. And it's like, it's very weird. Um, so, yeah, that's a legitimate concern. Yeah. So I, I like, I don't mind night riding and I, I do it occasionally. Like I, I don't avoid it, but I also don't seek it out. Um, and I have a 1200 lumen trail LED light and a 500 lumen surface uh, light. Yeah, and that, and that, in my opinion, is a very good setup. But I think that's kind of bare minimum. Yeah, really. that is like that's definitely that's the bare minimum. But it suits me for you know the length of ride that I do and yeah. the, the amount of night riding. Don't go I to do. Costco and buy a two pack of LED flashlight and like zip tie them to your bars and helmet <laughs> and think that's going to be good. And they're going to go, whoa! I tried it out in my dark house in the bathroom and it was really bright. And I'm like, yeah, a hundred lumens is pretty bright in a bathroom. But 100 lumens isn't going to do shit on a trail. That's enough to for you to to like push your bike out if you're if everything else burns out. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. 100 lumens is like what an old mag light was, you know. But it's it's just not enough. It's not enough for bike riding. It's just not. 
Yeah. Um, and Frankie's last question is, what computer do you use, what bicycle computer do you use and why? Um, Garmin, it's easy. <laughs> the Garmin Edge 500 is probably, while it's expensive, it's going to let you upload your rides to Strava, which is becoming more popular and more problematic for trail users um, in its own way. It's also going to be compatible with any what's called an ANT Plus device. ANT Plus is a type of digitally coded, I'm sorry, it's an encoded digital transmission, correct? It's a protocol. So it's like it's like Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or whatever. It's a standard that people adhere to, and certain devices can reliably communicate with each other using that protocol. So and like do all it. Bluetooth mouse mice work with all laptops that have a Bluetooth card, right? Just like your Wi-Fi card is going to work anywhere you have Wi-Fi, and it's just so any ant compatible heart strap you have is going to work with any ant compatible head unit, any Garmin basically. Right, but the point I was trying to bring up is it's also uh, it's unique. So each device has a yes. unique signal. Yes, yes. So unlike your think about something like a normal wireless bike computer. If we're both going down the road and we're riding beside one another, we're both going 17 miles an hour. So that cat eye can like the normal cat eye strata wireless doesn't have to have anything fancy to pair its sensor with its head unit. Whereas if we're riding down the road beside one another, my heart rate may be 150 and your heart rate may be 130. So you have to keep those things separate. And that's what ANG does is it pairs your device, whether it be a heart rate strap, a cadence sensor, a speed sensor, a power meter. Uh, power meter. Um, yeah, apparently you can even get a scale, like a scale, like a home <laughs> scale that's ant compatible and you like, after your workout, you step on it and then it loads. It like loads your weight for that ride or some kind of crap. I don't know. Oh wow! Thought it was kind of goofy, but either way, that's well, like a triathlete thing. Uh, probably. All of those things um, will do it in a coded way, so my heart rate only registers on my 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 edge or my Garmin. Um, you know, my cadence, my speed, my power, my heart rate, my distance, all that stuff. Um, and I just think it's great. Um, I, I really like mine. I ride with both um, heart rate and power. I have a power meter for both my mountain bike and my road bike. Um, and although I haven't really been using them lately, I, I still find them rather interesting. Um, at some point, I might start using them more. I might sell them. I don't really know. Yeah, I, I also use the Garmin Edge 500. Um, and on you purpose. Like 12 power meters. Yeah, and I and I have I have a seven oh five also that's a little old and clapped out. The battery's starting to not last as long and the screen is cracked, but it still works really well. I don't I'm not a hundred percent like I like I'm not like biting you know, I don't know, chomping at the bit to to get a touch screen Garmin. I don't know. Like Ryan's complained about his a couple of times, and it's like I, you know, my 500 works really. The 500 is a solid bike computer. It's a really good one. It's been around forever, and it just works really well. For, it really does. For what it's worth, I have a 510, and I love it. That's the it touchscreen, is, isn't it? It is. I love it. It works the way the menus are a lot more intuitive. I think you can do things a lot quicker if you want to change things. Um, and, and for me, it just works. The start button and the lap button are actual buttons, so I've never had an issue with it. And I, I don't use the touch screen a lot except at the start of a ride and the end of a ride when I'm, like, messing with things. Yeah, I want to I wanna 
stop you there. The only reason you can't run an Edge fat, a 500 fast is because you don't own one. Yeah, I'm sure once I own one, I can run through the menus faster. But I guarantee you when you got to change things, like you have to change things on the screen, like what what display items are where and that kind of thing, that touch screen is so fast. Well, you don't change those. You set them. Well, I know, but even, set set, even, even setting them. The fact is I've used the 500 and I've used the 510. And I, I, for what it's worth, I like my 510. I have no complaints about it. I'm not saying the 500 is bad. It's right. not. It's awesome. Like it's super yeah, Ryan, reliable. Ryan has the like the big one, the eight. Yeah. Eight hundred, eight ten, whatever. And it if is. you're curious, the difference between the five hundreds and the eight hundreds, whether it's the ten or the older regular one, is just maps. You have actual yeah, like the, navigatable the 705, maps. Yeah, that's why I keep the seven oh five around because it does like it it has maps and I, I like that for some rides. Like occasionally I'll do a ride where I, I'm not hundred percent sure that I can remember the route, and I'll use the 705 for that, so I like it. Yep, and I really, really like the Garmin, and it's very easy to switch between bikes, um, and certain bikes, like, I don't run a speed cadence sensor on my road bike, or my other mess around kind of bar bike, because I just don't really think it's necessary, but on the mountain bike, I run it to be get more accurate distance, because... Yeah, the, on the road, it's pretty, in, the Garmin's pretty... It GPS seems to be pretty good, accurate. yeah. I mean, it would be better if I had the speed cadence, but I don't find it necessary, so... I really, really like the Garmin. I'm on board with it. It does everything I want it to do. With that said, for the longest time, I ran the CatEye wireless Strata, that $60 wireless computer, and it was flawless. I ran them on all my bikes, and I loved it. It worked great. It was simple, 60 bucks. It does speed, and that's pretty much it. And then, of course, all the time and everything speed that goes with it. Yeah, time. of course, all the distance and stuff. Yeah, it but, depends on how much stuff you want to... But it's just a speedometer. That's, yeah, that's it doesn't what have it does. GPS. It won't work with Strava. No, it doesn't do GPS. It doesn't do heart rate. It doesn't do cadence, but it's small. It's light. And for me, it would work for one year, solid. I'd replace the batteries and it worked for another year. And I had multiple thousands of miles on units. I had one that had 10,000 miles on it. And it just worked. Yeah. So I have nothing bad to say about them, but they're just basic. <laughs> calling all the basic bitches. <laughs> yeah. So there you go, Frankie. Those are your three questions. They're very answer. Um, thanks for playing along. Um, you want to talk about forks or uh, or pumps? I want to talk about pumps. Okay. So who asked that question? Jason Berenger. Jason um, Berenger. Do you, want, do you want me to actually read his question? Please do. Uh, oh gosh, where did it go? Oh yeah, it was on the Mountain Bike Radio Facebook. Here, I probably have it open still. Um, I thought I did. I got it. Any suggestions on a high volume floor pump which can handle mounting tubeless? Or am I better off trying to use CO2? Or should I start saving for a cheap compressor? Mounting a Schwalbe Rocket Run Evo on Alex Rims XC49 with a Stan's XC29er kit. Oh, okay. So I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah, that's what I'm I I'm going to stop said. you right there. Don't do that. <laughs> I don't care what anybody on the interweb says. It, you're going to die. Don't <laughs> do that. It's going to, it's just bad. So Kenny, tell us what it is about this particular set of equipment that is bad and going to make Jason die. So what it is, no matter what anybody on the internet says, that is ghetto tubeless. So even with the stands kit, even with the stands kit, even though it says stands on it and that stands makes some reliable products, that is not one of them. It is something that was brought to market a long, long, long time ago 
when 99% of rim hoops were not tubeless compatible, and it was a quick and dirty and easy way to make them seal up, but not necessarily hold the tire on the rim. So all the bad stuff you've ever heard in your entire life about tubeless is because of that. So don't put that on. And the reason is, it is not a solid bead hook. You are basically filling in the extra space of that rim with rubber. And it's not the rubber of the tire where it's rigid, like on the bead. It's just like an extra floppy, it's like a spacer rubber, and it's just a bad plan. So what's going to happen is you might be able to get it to seal up and hold air, but the second you load that thing up laterally, like on the side, like in a turn, like where you really don't want your tire to catastrophically explode off. Like when you're going through a turn over those like womp, womp, womp bumps. Yeah. So you're like full lean and you like hit a G out and it really loads up the rear tire or the front tire and that tire is going to blow off that rim catastrophically and you're going to crash and it's going to suck. More importantly, that tire is probably the worst tire to try to do that with. Probably, yes. The only tire that would be worse than that is if you went to Walmart and bought a 29er and took one of the the steel bead tires off of that 29-inch mountain bike from Walmart and tried to set it up tubeless. Or maybe like a non-tubeless compatible... Small block 8. Small block 8 or a non-tubeless compatible... Uh, Carmen? The Continental Race King. Oh, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. That's... Or if you took a Segoro and cut a 3-inch section out of the bead and then seated <laughs> it. Yeah. So the moral of the story is the most important interface on a tubeless setup is not the rim tape. It's not sealing up the nipple holes and all that kind of stuff. It's not the valve stem. All that stuff is really not that important. Whatever works on that works on that. The most important part is where the bead of the tire sits against the actual rim hoop and how it locks in there and how that part seals. Because if you look at like how a passenger car tire seats onto your rim, it has what looks very similar to the bead socket technology on a stand or anything on a UST ring. I wonder it, where they got the idea. I know, where it actually ramps up over a higher hump and then settles down into a little channel, and that's what holds it on. I understand that there are things on the market, like the specialized non-hooklet, unhooked, or whatever they call that thing, hookless. But in my experience, trying to go get a tubeless is just that, and you're just... You're begging for problems. Yes, there are people, I guess, that run ridiculous pressures or don't weigh a lot or just never corner a bike hard in their life and don't have problems with it. And you might have – so if you wanted to increase your, your, um, I guess, chances of this not catastrophically failing, if you went with a UST tire – in this situation, it would work a little better than what you have. It, it can help. In my experience, just like when we were talking the other day about what holds the chain yeah. on, yeah. the front ring does more to hold it on than yeah. the clutch derailleur. Yeah, like a, the, getting a better set of rims or a better set exactly. of wheels would be the best option here. Like you could probably take those rocket – and you, I know you could take those rocket rods and put them on any tubeless compatible rim. Um, but you know, if you're really hurting and you don't want to spend any money or much money, a different question is, would you let me hit you in the face as hard as I can with the ground for $400? And and that's, that's that's (laughs) the deal. The most important part of the, of this, of this, uh, formula is not so much the tire. It's the rim. It's the rim hoop. 
itself. I was just saying if, if, he, really if, he's being, if he's trying to cheap out and won't won't buy a new set of rims, yeah. wheels or rims, mm-hmm. to at least get a really stout tire. And even if all this stuff works, I've had so many issues with those rubber rim strips anyway. On, on top of the fact that you're going to die, <laughs> it, when you're trying to seat them, because it's rubber on rubber then, and, and it doesn't really sit in the middle of the rim very well. So what's going to happen is around. one side is going to move a little more than the other. And what I, what I find every single time I unmounted one of those ghetto tubeless setups on pretty much any setup ever is you take it off, and that rim strip is biased to one side. Like sometimes the tire bead is under the rubber like it's supposed to be or on top of it on one side of the rim, but it pulled it over, and then the other, the completely opposite side of that rim there, like – you move an inch over on the other bead and it's touching metal instead of the rubber because the rim strip shifted as yeah. the whole thing was seating up and settling. And you don't know that. You can't see that. And you can't it's, control it's, it. It's hidden. Anyway. It's completely hidden and you have no idea. So just please, please, please do not do that. Um, it, it's an it's a antiquated way of doing tubeless. And it, was, it existed in a time when tubeless rim hoops themselves weren't really out there. So yeah. just... Don't do it. All right. So to answer the rest of his question, so let's say that Jason goes and purchases a set of, let's say like the hand spun, like the QVP wheel set. Can of, you get the full stands rapids, the OEM? No. Okay, because I noticed, for example, on the Niner Ross 9 that we built, it came with the rapid rim hoops with DT competition double-butted spokes on ZTR 3.30 hubs. So it's basically a ZTR build with a little cheaper spokes and the cheaper rim hoop. And it seemed like a really, I looked at it, I'm like, that's really cool. I like that a lot because if I had to guess, you could probably buy that aftermarket for around $400 for the set. I would guess. They're OEM. Okay. That's that's kind of a bummer. Your your local bike shop, as long as they have a quality bike parts account, uh, which is most bike shops, uh, you can get a Stan's rim and you can, I think they have Crest, Arch, and Flow, don't they? They do. They have all three. Um, all three of those on a SRAM X9 hub. They have. They make the, a Crest X9. I think so. I, I thought they did. Maybe okay, it's just well, Arch and Flow, but regardless. Yeah, like you can get Stan's You rim. can get the Crest on the Hope from him. Yeah, I know that yeah. Much. That's, like you can get like an Arch or a Flow on a, a SRAM X9 hub. Nothing wrong with the X9 hub. It's just nothing fancy. It's you know it's a little heavy. It's um, you know it's just a cartridge bearing hub. It's but they work. Plain. Yeah, they're cartridge bearing. They make they make replacement cassette bodies uh, or free hub bodies if they go out. They're twenty bucks. I mean it's, yeah, everything. Yeah, it's, it's everything a real is serviceable. Simple setup. It works really well. Um, you know it's stout enough. The hand spun people do a good job of building a wheel. Get that. It's like $360 retail. I think it might have gone up to maybe 400 or 380 Either way, it's $400 or less for a cartridge-bearing, double-butted spoke, tubeless, true tubeless-ready wheel set. Yeah. And you can also get, for about four or $500, you can get an American Classic Terrain. It'll be a tiny bit lighter. Same idea. Yeah. So, yeah, look into getting different rims and wheels or whatever because what you have is going to kill you. But let's say that he went and bought that. Um, what do you think about a high volume floor pump? Uh, I bought one of those Topeak uh, Mountain Joes not too long ago. It's pretty freaking sweet. Uh, I have set up literally everything with that 
pump. Because our compressor died. Well, not only that, but it's just there's no real reason to do the other one. Um, so I'll, I'll go from big or small to big. Um, Dura-Ace C24 tubeless road wheels with Bontrager tubeless road tires. Boom. Seated right up. Um, I used soapy water. I pulled the valve core out. And yeah, pulling the valve core makes a big difference. Yep. And then uh, because when you do that, you're not restricting the airflow into the wheel. So per pump, you're getting a little bit more volume at a time, and that's going to give you a little bit better chance of seating the tire. Oh, and if you don't want to use needle nose pliers for that, Stan's makes a little, it's less than $10. It's a little aluminum uh, valve core remover. It, very it removes both Schrader valves, which you definitely need a special tool for, and it removes Presta valves. So and it's really trick. Buy one of those; they're awesome. Yeah, yeah. Get those. Um, Don't be like me. No, we have a we have one that came with a Vittoria thing. I know we have one, but it's like I see the needle nose pliers before I see that, so I always Any, use. And and if you Mavic has little plastic ones that work okay. That come with every Mavic wheel. Yeah, yeah. So keep going, Matt. And for normal home use, the plastic ones are probably fine if you can lay your hands on one. But they're smaller than a. They're about the size of a nickel, if not a little bit smaller. So they're probably lost. If if you don't already have one, it's probably lost. So you can't get one from the bike shop or your buddy or whatever. So, anyways, I've set up road tubeless using. And this is a, maybe to go back a little bit, never run anything ghetto tubeless on the road. You will die. Yeah, that's an absolute no-no. That yeah. is an industry-wide no-no. Yeah, um, don't do that. So I've set up road tubeless. Um, I've mounted Hutchison, like the original Hutchison Bulldog tires. I've mounted those to Mavic Cerium Elite wheels, uh, which is, you know, a, again, a tubeless-friendly cross wheel. Um, that was no problem. I mounted a bunch of tires to my Envy wheels with them. Um, so the Envy All Mountain 29 wheels, I mounted tires to those all day. Like, what up? Get it. Um, and obviously mounting uh, tires to the What's stands the wheels that I have, I've mounted a, a bunch of specialized, they're two Bliss, the number two and then Bliss tires. I mounted a bunch of those. I mounted some Max's tires, I mounted a, uh, I think that's it. That so I've that, that floor pump works. It works. And I'm in no way, shape, or form endorsed, compensated, reach-arounded, Dutch-ruttered, or anything <laughs> by Topeak. This is something that I looked at. I thought, if this doesn't work, it's not a huge investment. That's really nice, too. Lazine makes one, and it's like $85. And it's all aluminum, and it looks like if it fell over near your dog, your dog would die. Um, which no one wants a dead dog, so you should get the Topeak one, which is all plastic. It retails under $50, which I know you cheap ghetto tubeless SOB is going to get, and it's just nice. Um, Side note, though, that shouldn't be your only... If you have anything other than mountain and cyclocross bikes, that is not your only pump because... Is it not good at high pressure? It It, maxes out at 70. It it doesn't actually go to 70. I can't. I have ridden that pump down. Don't and they pump. have like two stage ones that like the initial part, like it'll see, it'll move a whole bunch of air at first, but then you can like top it off with. Yeah, those have like, is that the Lazine one that does that? Yeah, maybe? somebody There's makes some it. manufacturer that advertises, and I haven't used it, but I saw it advertised that it is high volume when you first, like for the first part of the stroke, and then it, it's high pressure for the 
second part or some kind of nonsense. Yeah, whatever. But yeah, this one is solid. But yeah, if you have a road bike, you need a, a standard four pump. Also. Okay. Or if you're already cycling. You need to keep your existing pump. But if you live in like an apartment or something, you don't want to crank up a compressor or own a compressor, that's probably it's even a smart thing to do. I have more luck with that, really, than I did with the small compressor that we used to have. Gotcha. Like the little, like, what would that be, like a three-gallon pancake compressor? Something like that, yeah. Because what I found is, and while this might just be I'm getting better at seating tubeless, it also might be the fact that when you hit, like, you get, like, and then that little compressor starts running again. So here you are fiddling with this tire and you're listening to and you're like trying to get this tire to see and you're just like that there's not enough volume or there's not enough capacity in one of those pumps. So if you have to fiddle with it for a while, you're going to listen to it run the whole time and it's going to be really annoying. And yeah, just, if you're going to buy a compressor, unless you're getting one to like travel with you places, uh, Spring for as much compressor as you can afford. Oh, and yeah, if we're going to talk compressors for a minute, buy an oil compressor. Don't look at marketing when they say oil maintenance free. That's basically like saying I have a car engine because it works the exact same way as a car engine. It's got a piston and a rod and it moves a crank and it, it, it is a car engine that's a single cylinder is what it is. Um, it's just run on an electric motor to drive it. It's backwards. You kind of run, yeah, instead of producing power and yeah. driving a shaft, you put power into the shaft and it, it produces air. pressure. That's it. Yeah. So when they say maintenance and oil-free, it's basically like saying, hey, I've got this car engine here and it doesn't take any oil. Guess how long that thing is going to last and guess how freaking loud it's going to be. So if you buy an oil-fed compressor that actually has, you do like oil changes on it like once every like 10 years or something ridiculous. Um, it is going to be so much quieter, and it's going to last a long, long time. Any big compressor you see anywhere in the world, like a big compressor that you're going to see in a shop, especially like those old-ass ones you see outside of like some car shop that's obviously been there for 20 years, it's going to be an oil-driven compressor. The oil-free ones are the really cheap ones, and they're super loud, and they vibrate, and they're awful. So don't buy those if you can avoid it. Yep. Yeah. You can buy for like for under $200, you can find an oil compressor so you need to do that buy as big of a compressor as you can afford and store and no one it's like buying a really nice mountain bike buy as much bike as you can afford because no one ever rides their expensive mountain bike out on the trail and it's like man i wish my bike didn't work this well yeah i wish i got it I got a cheaper bike. Yeah. I wish wish my suspension didn't work this good. Exactly. Like, no one ever says, no one ever regrets having a big air compressor. Like, there's only smiles. And the bigger the the compressor, generally the quieter it is, too, which is really interesting because the pump has to move slower because it's usually got a much bigger capacity. So, not always the case, but in my experience, a little bit bigger compressor is usually a little bit quieter. So, yeah. So, that's, that's the answer to your question. Um... I do want to get to Dan Ackerman's question, even though it's just it's nine o'clock right now. Um, hold on, let me go back to it. Man, we've been like knocking shit out. All right, I got Dan's question up. All right. My current single speed is an original rigid Sur nine with a one and one eight carbon fork. So he has a nine tapered steer tube. When the frame dies, have faith, Danny boy. <laughs> It'll most likely be replaced with the newest Sur 9, which has a tapered head tube. 
My question is, for a bike with a tapered head tube, is it possible to use a tapered suspension fork for rough trails or smooth pavement? Yeah, that, that suspension works anywhere. Don't let the rattling of a rigid fool you. Um, and then switch to a straight one and one eighth rigid fork without having to change the bottom headset cup every time. Is this possible? Is it practical? Um, if you have time, last week mentioned in passing that Carver bikes had a yoke. Could you explain what it is and how it works? Um, so yeah, very easy to run both a tapered fork and a one and one eighth fork in the same frame with the same lower headset cup. The only difference is changing on the tapered fork. You'll and just for argument's sake, you build the bike, new frame, new tapered Reba. You put all the headset parts together like normal, and you're going to use a good old King Creek headset. Then what you need to do for your one and one eighth fork is purchase a reducing crown raise. Yeah, I think that's what they call it. But it's yeah. basically it makes up to the larger one and a half inch lower bearing, but it it presses onto the smaller one inch right uh, one inch tube. So it's basically it's a it's a really large thick if crown you want to think of it that it's way. A fat crown race. Yeah, it's it's a lot it's a lot bigger crown race uh, and it works phenomenally. There's nothing wrong with doing it. The only tiny little thing you got to consider and it's not going to matter because you already have the bike's going to be set up for the suspension geometry. Like you're going to have basically you got to figure you're going to have an extra centimeter of stack underneath the frame. But if you ride your suspension fork that way, putting the rigid fork on is going to be just the same. You're going to have the same difference in feeling. Rather than if you're running like a 44 yeah. internal on yeah. the bottom. But the Sur is designed to be ridden. I believe the Sur is designed, the head tube angle is taken into account with an external cup on the bottom because they assume that's how everybody's going to run it. You have the option on the Sur to run a zero stack lower and run a, a straight one and an eighth fork but it's going to steer a little faster if you do that. So really just don't worry about what I said because it's not going to matter in your situation. It's going to be fine. And it's very easy to do. I believe that part will be, the part you need for your carbon fork should be under $20. Yeah, they have an, uh, if you're looking at Cane Creek, they got two versions of it. They have a 110, which is going to be aluminum, and it's going to be like 20 bucks or 25 bucks. Go with Cane Creek. Um, and then they have an all steel one, which is the Cane Creek 10 and the Cane Creek 40 series. And it's going to be less than that. I want to say when I got one from outdoors, it was twelve ninety nine, something like that. They're not, they're not expensive, and it's super easy. And complete worst case scenario is if you don't do that, it's just a crown race. You just remove it, so you're not modifying your fork in any way, and it's it's super easy. Um, so I posted a link to Carver's Tie Four Twenty. Um, for those of you out there that don't want to click on a link, I'll be happy to explain it. Imagine your bicycle and you're at the bottom bracket, the chain stay is what connects the bottom bracket to the rear axle. It's the tube that runs from the bottom bracket back under your chain, you know, between the two upper and lower chains that go front to back and to the, the back side of the bike where the derailleur bolts on and everything. Um, the, prop, the space constraint you have is if you're standing over your bike, the drive side behind the chain ring and in the the chain stay has to go between the tire and the chain ring. So if you make your rear end really long, 
suddenly your tire and your chain ring are overlapping. So you can shape your your lower chain stay, not the upper seat stay. You can you can shape that to where it goes down past the tire and then bends in to get skinnier and then goes back forward behind the chain ring narrow enough that you don't have an interference issue or a clearance issue. However, when people out there in the world like myself or Rich Dillon start getting really persnickety and crotchety and don't want to ride a um, shit sandwich, if you will, um, <laughs> what you see is you want a shorter chainstay because like brop brop sip sick moto style, like shorter chainstays feel better um, in my and Rich Dillon's not so humble opinion. As you move that further forward, you start running into an interference issue. So when you use a yoked chainstay, what you're doing is you're actually stopping the tubing before you get all the way up to the chain ring, and the tubing is welded to a machined piece of metal that is much thinner that goes between the tire and the chainstay. So not only do you get a beautiful piece of craftsmanship, but when done appropriately and with good, good materials and good um, geometry numbers, you're going to get a bike that has a much better ride feel and much better handling characteristics due to the fact that something that was impossible with tubing has been made possible because now you're running a 420 millimeter chainstay length on a 29er, which is really short. Your normal hardtail is going to be like 440. And you're still able to run like that Maxxis Icon 2.35 in the rear and run a 36 tooth chain ring and nothing rubs. And that's where the yoke comes in. And uh, like I said, for those reasons of ride quality and possibilities that it opens, it's, it's pretty cool. But also, you're only going to see this in a premium bike. You're never going to see like a Scatante or like a bike Serac bike with moto a yoke. You're never going to see a Moto Bacon with a, with a yoke. Um, I just think they're very classy. They have a lot of great craftsmanship in them, and it shows someone that really takes pride in their work and does something a little more than just braises some tubing together. So, yeah, I think they're really cool. Yeah, if you guys are wanting to see, uh, you know, if, I think Matt did a good job of describing that, but if you're a more visual person than an, yeah, an audible person, um, that link that he posted is on my Facebook page for Brickhouse Racing. So search Facebook for Brickhouse Racing. Uh, when you find it, you should like the page and then scroll down and find the just the most recent Just Riding Along uh, link post. And you'll see where people have asked some questions and you'll see Matt McCulley has posted to Dan uh, a link to Carver Bikes, um, you know, with pictures and everything uh, like that, showing you what a yoke is. Isn't the Ross 9 yoked? It is. Yes. I thought it was. I, I mean, I just built one, but I barely looked at the bike, honestly. So, I thought I saw one. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so you have short chain stays, but still some chain ring clearance. It's a little piece of metal right there in the chain stay. I, I had one that was yoked. I had a yoked bicycle for a very short period of time, and it really did ride different because of the the way that the bike was able to come together, it was really cool. Which bike was it? The Aaron. It was oh, okay. the It that. seems to me, it's really neither here nor there, but it seems to me that a yoked bike is probably going to ride a little stiffer vertically in the back just because of the way that that yoke, how stiff and strong it is and everything. It just seems like it would be more difficult to make 
a vertically compliant bike with that. Not saying you can't, and maybe it's really not a big deal. But oh, yeah, that's what titanium's for. Yeah, that's why I looked at it. I was like, huh, it seems like that would be pretty And steel. Pretty damn I mean, stiff. steel's going to be nice, too. It's going to be a nice ride. Yeah. Speaking of titanium and, and custom bikes and stuff, I put a deposit on my Cisco road bike today. So that's gonna I, I heard that a certain someone locally might go and look at a Cisco bike. Yeah? Yeah. There's one for sale in town, isn't there? No, like go get one built. For his wife, maybe? Uh, no, for him. Oh, sweet. Oh, for a single speed finally? Mm-mm. For a road bike? Mm-hmm. Man, that might be don't, two people in don't, Edison. Don't like... Well, wait, I, nothing's happened yet, so I don't want to say anything. I'm just saying that there because is... Because I talked to someone... There I, is... I talked to someone a couple of days ago about getting one for his wife. Because she's small and, you know. Oh, I bet I, I know what's going on here. Someone didn't like the fit of their 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 stock offering, I bet. On the road side, yeah. I think, yes. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, great. Sweet. Rock and roll. And he's a little bit taller guy, so. So, yeah. Cisco road bikes, blowing those up. They make mountain bikes, too. Yeah, I would love Yeah, when, a, you, when you don't need a, uh, when you don't need a UCI legal bike, like, screw it. Make it fit. What does that have to do with UCI legal? Uh, your front center. The problem in road stuff is the front center. 63. If you built a 63 geometrically the same as a 54, the front center uh, would exceed UCI standards and would okay. technically not be a race legal bicycle. It's kind of like how, how my road bikes are set up. They're not actually race legal because the nose of the saddle is not five centimeters Correct. behind the bottom bracket. That's just how I'm built. I mean, I've been fit. I'm super comfortable on all my bikes, but on my road bike, it just happens that the bottom bracket, like my the nose of my saddle that I love, is three centimeters behind the bottom bracket. Yeah, how it shakes out. Yeah, you know, a lot of it's just going to be like, you know, the nose of the saddle. The nose of the saddle is a pretty inconsequential thing. It's like. Well, yeah, that's why they're making like time trial and. Well, mostly they're time trial saddles now that are essentially just a normal saddle with the nose cut off. Yeah, exactly. Well, they they kind of shift it. Yeah, I mean, they make it look a little bit more normal, but it's that's pretty much it. Came from that practice of cutting the nose off a normal saddle to skirt that regulation. Uh, let's see. Let's run a train real quick on Jim Morgan and then uh, shut this thing down. So Jim Morgan wanted to know about chestless t-shirts. He wanted to know about chestless t-shirts, which is just way too much for me. Fred Durst syndrome, which I'm not young enough to understand. Um, you mean old enough? I'm not old enough to understand. I was too young when Fred Durst was like limping his biscuit. So. Oh, uh, I was in. I was in the middle of the limping biscuit. Yeah, that. Ow! Little bite you, little fucker. <laughs> <laughs> Thor is like threat, Fred Durst uh, and a cat. So let's see. Jim Morgan. I do have a question regarding proper bar length. I have a specialized all-mountain, low-rise, 7050 alloy, 750 millimeter wide, 8-degree rack sweep, 6-degree up sweep. Daddy likes some up sweep. I'm not going to lie. I love me some up sweep. 31.8 millimeter bars. People kept telling me to cut them. But I became used to them because they did not give me problems on the. Oh, they did not give me. I became used to them, though they do give me some problems on tight sections on some trails. First of all, no one gave you. They, people quit giving you a hard time about it because you're a very large man and you could rip them to pieces and not break a sweat. Everyone's real happy that Jim Morgan's a nice guy. If Jim Morgan wasn't a nice guy, 
no one would talk to him because everyone would be afraid that they would be eaten for breakfast. <laughs> and you don't want to know what happened during the night. So Yeah, so Jim's a Jim's a nice guy. He's also a big guy. Um so moving on to the, the more intriguing part of this question, is there a proper bar length based on your height weight or is it just preference? Preference. Hundred percent preference. Now I did see the cutest thing. So, yeah, Jim, it is very much preference. And I do believe that some of this um, would fall into what I call anthropomorphological. Yeah. So that person that's five foot tall doesn't need the same. If you're five foot, 103. <laughs> There's you, the Atoka coming out. Five foot tall. If you're... F- five feet tall. If you are... <laughs> y'all. <laughs> if you're an even 60 inches tall <laughs> and only weigh 105 pounds, then it's very likely that you may not find a 750 millimeter bar, bar comfortable. It might feel too wide and you might not feel like it's something that's very easy to handle. It may feel cumbersome. Now, you can shorten the stem in that situation. Well, we're talking about someone that's five foot tall, yeah. so they're probably yeah. if you, already If you have the reach correct for such a wide bar, you still might not need that wide of a bar. Like, you might not be the best yeah. thing for you. There's a tipping point where suddenly your hands are just really far apart. Of course, yeah. Even and if your reach is not exaggerated because of it, Correct. It might yeah. just be too And I found that, personally, I found that, like, I got the one of the Niner bars and didn't cut it right away at 710. It was just a, it was just a little too much. Like, I, would, I felt weird. Like, it just felt like my hands were just too far. I gave it several rides. I rode it in different terrain and everything, and I just decided I wanted to cut it and cut it just a hair over 700, and it felt great. And I like it like that. So... You know, you ride long enough, you'll find that, that like, this feels weird, this feels good point. Yep. Matt, were you looking for something? I was trying to fill the air there. No, I mean, I was just going to say, like, you might, so the the 60-inch lady might not like a 750-millimeter wide bar. However, you, Jim, you're pretty big. I think you're 6'4", if not 6'5". I mean, you're... You're a pretty big dude. 750 millimeter wide bar is not unbelievable to be comfortable for you. I would never buy a bar just because one or two places on a trail are a little challenging to get through. I think that's a really foolish way to buy a bar because 99% of the other time you're not going through those trees. So buy something that fits right and learn how to get through those trees with that wide of a bar because you can do it. Yeah, like my 700 wide millimeter wide bar like I, I haven't been through like the one narrow spot here in Memphis with them but you know what I'm going to do when I get there is I'm just going to slow down a little more if I have to I'll put a foot down yeah and you can use, and you I'll can use through you there. can use body angle so you can you can turn the bar at the last second you'd be really surprised if traffic yeah. can fit through yeah I mean yeah, I'll, I'll I'll get through there and then I'll still be happy with my bars even though I had to slow down more than usual in that one spot the most fun thing to do is going between like two really really narrow fence posts to the point where even on a normal bar your bars are going to hit them and you can make it through if you wheelie that is the coolest thing in the world i just want to throw that out i love that stuff oh you guys 
man, Matt, do you have anything else? It's nine sixteen. Um, I was gonna say the only time I did have one wide bar thing that kind of weirded me out. Um, I did see. I, I I got to witness the cutest thing ever this weekend. It was high school mountain bike racing. So okay, that's really that's really yeah. You need to you, hurry you up. Need, you need to yourself. you need to explain that. Cause that's really creepy. He means cute in a puppy way. I mean cute and like a, I want to hug you and kiss you on the forehead and tell you you did a great job and like and there's candy in my van. No, like Papa Bear inside of me came out and I wanted to like. Okay. Like, this girl wrecked right in front of me, and, like, I wanted to, like, run over and scoop her off the ground and be like, pedal, pedal, it's okay, and, like, shove her off down the trail. But I didn't, because she would have gotten a five-minute penalty for receiving outside assistance. So, I didn't do that. But what I was going to say is there was this very small, probably 15, 16-year-old girl, and she did fit that, that she was my example, my 60-inch tall, and, which is five feet, for those of you. <laughs> who are more uh, cultured. If you don't know what five feet is, about five foot. About five foot tall. She's about five foot tall. Uh, <laughs> she's about five foot even. Um, she's about as tall as that long tractor there. Uh, <laughs> and she was riding a Trek 29er that it looked like she was probably going to grow into even, but her bars were like 680. So she was like driving the school bus down the trail is what it looked like. And... I couldn't help but wonder if a 600 millimeter wide bar wouldn't feel better to her. You know, her hands were so far outside of her shoulders that it, it just, to me, seemed like it was hard to imagine that being comfortable. Because if you scale that up, that would probably be like me riding like a 930 or a 940 bar. Just, you know, this massive behemoth of a stick There's between probably like if you're looking at it from a from an efficiency and comfort standpoint there's probably a measurable shoulder width and like an angle at the shoulder of like shoulder um extension i guess it is uh that would be most comfortable but really it's easier to just start with something that maybe feels a little too wide and just start cutting a little off at a time. Yeah, my recommendation would be always start with a wider bar than you think you might want or like and give it time. Ride it for a week or two and make sure you've got the proper length stem to go with it so your reach is not artificially changed because of it. So, Because the longer bar you go with, the more artificial reach you're getting. So, and, and to complicate things, sometimes like a longer bar, like the Niner, uh, that low rider bar that they made, or the mm -hmm. low top nine, has more sweep, and so like even though it's wider with the more sweep, the where you're holding it out at the ends, like it's swept back towards you more. Yeah, so you can probably have a longer stem. I know for a fact you have a longer stem with more sweep back because your yeah. hands are in. But it, it all kind of it kind of balances out because it's a wider bar. Yeah, with the same length stem but more sweep. So I, I know it definitely wasn't a question of stem length in my situation. But. Just try a longer bar and see if you like it. But give it some time. I'm, I have very rarely recommended to a customer, because I'll have some customers come in and they had a very nice bike eight years ago. And it had a very short bar because that's really all you could buy. And I really try to push them because they're comfortable on the bike and I understand that. And it's very difficult to upset that for some people. But... I really pushed them, like, look, let's get your same reach or maybe bring your reach in just a tad. Let's run a wider bar and just give it a chance. And yeah. almost every single person that I've set up properly in that way has loved it. They're like, okay, it, was, it was weird at first, 
but I tried it for three weeks and this is awesome. I want you to change all of my other bikes. We've done, we've done full circle back to uh, handlebars. Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, Rob Bladow, he had a... He was running real narrow. He was running like a 550 with like 130 mil stem on that hardtail 29. Yeah, yeah. And he's since changed all of them out. Oh, that's cool. Because he got the flash. Uh, no, sorry, I'm not, he I'm not sorry, not the flash. Car the other day. Oh gosh, <laughs> that was the, funny. Uh, he got the scalpel, and he ran a much wider bar, got used to it, and then got a wider bar and a shorter stem for his hardtail. So anyway, moral of the story is you should try it because you'll probably like it. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> but yeah, like this customer talking about, he came in the shop and he was kind of chatting with everyone, like hanging out for a second. And he's like, oh, I got my kids. My kids are locked in the car. <laughs> like he was real I think he was real tired and it didn't click at first that he's like I locked my kids in the car but then like it didn't he's like no 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 Derek's in there with him but at first we were all like oh my god you locked your kids in the car <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh um, Matt do you have anything else to talk about with bars and Jim Morgan and chestless t-shirts I don't I uh Matt I really don't. you just got the t- the I've been fighting. I've been. I haven't yawned yet, but I really want to. I've been. I've been having a rough time. The weekend was not nice to me. I did lots of volunteering, and lots of. Uh, I pedaled my bike really hard for the first time in a while, and uh, I blew up like super. That high school mountain bike race is pretty awesome. Yeah, and after that, I went out and pedaled as hard as I could for like thirty minutes. Yeah, you like we got out on the trail, and once we found our way through like the first few weird turns because we were going backwards on the trail. We were going backwards on my least favorite trail in town because I always get lost because nothing is marked and it's kind of an awful trail. It's not an awful trail. Definitely an awful trail. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so we were going backwards on this trail and once we like knew what we were, where we were going, Matt just like gets this wild hair and takes off and I'm following him and like, well, at one point I did this thing like, I saw him skid his rear tire in this turn, and I was like, I was like, well, I've been, I've been really pushing this ardent. Like, I, I've got a 2.4 on the front of my uh, full suspension, and I've been like pushing it, like trying to kind of find its limits. Well, this was like a pine needle covered turn, so like all of a sudden my front tire is like sliding out from under me, and my face is getting closer to the ground. <laughs> but I got my foot out in time, so that was good. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going. Oh, yeah, I was just chasing Matt through the woods. And then I, I was like, this is kind of hard, but I know he's going to blow up at some point. I did. <laughs> I did. I blew up real hard. I impl- I didn't just blow up. <laughs> I rode for 30 minutes like I've been training really hard for the last two months. And I haven't. I've been barely riding my bike. So, so I was like out of breath. <laughs> and then we turned around. No, we stopped and talked to somebody for a minute, and I could not get my legs to work again. <laughs> for whatever reason, stopping for a minute, I like my legs were just like no, mm mm. Yeah, we should just like stop really. Here. I didn't feel like I was really that like tired, tired right then. I just felt more like my legs immediately filled with lead, and we're like, oh well, you used us, and now you're not using us, so we're gonna turn off. Okay, okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> and they like powered down, so yeah. All right, we should probably end the show now. Nine twenty-four. It's like our longest show ever. It was pretty interesting, though. I think. Uh, all right. Well, 
I don't have any good sound clips to play as we end the show either. Oh man, if I'd have thought about it, I'd have had this really awesome song queued up. Uh, I kind of do have something if it's still open. All right, I've got a sound effect for you, and it's gonna be hard to find just this one part. But if you watch the Screaming super Dylan. no, if you watch that super famous clip. Okay. <laughs> well, just pause it for a second. <laughs> so if if you watch this super famous clip that came out a week or so ago after the Red Bull Rampage of Kelly McGarry on his second place run doing the backflip over that 76 foot canyon gap, yeah, the noises, yeah, when he's upside down are the weirdest it's freaking like, thing. I know because if that's actually what you hear, I don't know if it's just some weird. Thing that happens thing. with it, but did you hear him like he's like coming, he's like singing a song yeah. himself he while he's going down the hill? He was so crazy. And if you, by the way, if you haven't watched that video, I'm sure you've heard about it, but whatever. And I'm you sure everybody talks it. about it, but I'm sorry, that is just the most rowdy crap that you could ever do. The, the favorite part at the end is you hear what I'm assuming is his girlfriend or significant other. She's like, Where did the bad from, like, I don't know, it just comes over and like the I video. I think I, I think it was an interviewer. Yeah, I think it's someone interviewing him. But either oh, way, I thought it was a chick. No, what well, yeah. is a chick? It's a chick interviewing him. Chicks are allowed to have microphones interview people. Honestly, it is a luxury that's been afforded to women in the past probably two years. <laughs> you know what? I made a bad assumption because this kind of sounded like a an excited yet worried of like well she probably was I mean just like dude almost died because he just he would have messed up he would have dead and by the way if you watch another camera angle of that you can see it in his helmet cam but there's another angle from the side of him landing that jump and his back tire landed with six inches to spare like if he was six inches short he would have just like fallen off the cliff and died it was crazy like what in the hell oh it's just it's nuts Totally nuts, and you gotta watch it. It's freaking awesome, and that sound is yeah, that sound it's pretty is awesome. cool. All right, Matt, are you ready? Yeah. X gonna give it to you. X gonna give it to you. <laughs> All right, you've listened to another episode of Just Riding Along, brought to you by Pro Gold Bikes, Quill Stems, 500 millimeter flat bars, and Pro Gold again. Thanks for listening to another episode of Mountain Bike Radio. Be sure to head over to mountainbikeradio.com. To find a full listing of all the shows, recent episodes, archives, and you can buy some swag. T-shirts, socks, stickers, and you can become a member in which you get deals on coaching, nutrition, products, and a whole bunch of other things. So be sure to head over to mountainbikeradio.com and you'll find all the info you need. Thank you.